Hello, boys and girls, and welcome to episode 219 of the Motorcycle Men Podcast and another interview for your listening pleasure. The Motorcycle Men Podcast is brought to you by Tobacco Motorwear for the best in American-made Kevlar line selvage riding jeans, shirts, jackets, and graphic tees and accessories. You go to Tobacco Motorwear at TobaccoMotorwear.com. There's a special link just for Motorcycle Men listeners who want to order from Tobacco Motorwear in the show notes and on the Motorcycle Men website at www.MotorcycleMen.us. Or you can call them at 747-666-5741 and tell Dave and the crew that the Motorcycle Men sent you. And make sure you use that coupon code MOTOMEN when you are ordering. Scorpion Helmets. For the last 15 years, Scorpion EXO has been dedicated to offering high-quality Innovative motorcycle helmets and technical apparel at an incredible value. Some of the world's best helmet and apparel designers and spend countless hours developing and testing Scorpion AXO products to ensure that each and every Scorpion AXO helmet and garment will surpass user expectations. To learn more, you go visit scorpionusa.com. And Shingo Tires, whether if you are riding a sport bike, a scooter, off-road, dual sport, cruiser, doesn't matter. Shinko has a tire to suit your needs and riding style without breaking your bank account. So, if it's time for tires for your bike, think Shinko. Go to ShinkoTireUSA.com and make sure you tell them that the Motorcycle Men sent you. Hey, the Motorcycle Men's podcast is supporting David's Dream of Belief Cancer Foundation. If you would like to help and be a part of something that actually makes a difference, donate today to David's Dream and Believe Cancer Foundation. Go to davidsdreamandbelieve.org to donate. Links will also be in the show notes. And the Gold Star Ride Foundation, helping the families of fallen soldiers, men and women, and making a difference in the lives of those left behind. If you would like to be a part of a great cause and get some heartfelt miles in, go to goldstarride.org and learn how you can participate in the next Gold Star Ride. Now, for those of you who have been dreaming of riding the Mother Road, that's Route 66, there are many resources available to you. There are plenty of tour companies, such as Orange and Black, that I interviewed here on the podcast not long ago. You have videos on YouTube, such as those produced by Roman Rich of Hooked on Route 66, who I also interviewed. And, of course, you have maps, guides, and books. While these resources will give you all the information you need to navigate the famed route, it is the books and the audiobooks that will give you the more colorful perspective of the trip from Chicago to Santa Monica. My guest today is Rick Antonson, author of Route 66 Still Kicks. It is a wonderful audiobook to listen to, and it will give you a view of the famed highway that no other source will. Enjoy. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Motorcycle Men podcast. Joining me all the way from, where are you from again? Predator Ridge. Predator British Ridge, Columbia. British Columbia, uh, author of several travel books, uh, Mr. Rick Antonson. Rick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me aboard. Uh, when I first uh, listened to the audiobook of your, uh, of your title, I was uh, fascinated by it, and I, I felt, after listening to it, 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 was, it bordered on comical at times. Well, I should say most of the time. So before we get any further into this, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your, some of your writings? 
Well, the the book became comical because it was two buddies on the road, and and that always has a little bit of Bob Hope, Bing Crosby in it. I think for oh, yeah. for all of us, yeah. If you're yeah. If you're honest and open, and you try to record the tension, the only alleviation is humor. And we've all traveled with friends, one, two, or more, and <laughs> it, it it needs that safety valve of of, of humor to get you through the long the long journey. I, I have, as, as you mentioned, been involved with uh, writing a number of other books. I spent a, my, most of my career in tourism, and that was marketing the city of Vancouver. We were involved in launching the bid to bring the Olympics in 2010 to Vancouver and, and Whistler Ski Area. was involved in a lot of other community activities, and it was, it was great, but it was also the job that ate my life because it was rather demanding and on the side I was trying to write and I ended up in 2014 retiring from that so that I could become a full-time book author Good and you. yeah yeah thank you it's it's you know Janice my, my wife partner uh, enabled that in, in a, a lot of ways she was on postings in in Australia at the time and then more recently in Germany for the last couple of years wow. so I always had writing rooms set up and it was terrific to, to, to live there and, and do that. So so that's been it. So my seventh book just uh, was published by Skyros Publishing in New York uh, last month. Its title is is quite different than Route 66. Its, <laughs> its title is um, Walking with Ghosts in Papua New Guinea um, and it's crossing the Kokoda Trail in the, the last wild place on earth. So Wow. Quite a, a, a different experience, and it'd be exciting to write about that. But you know, at my heart, there's always a, a favored part of my writing that relates to the Route 66 Still Kicks book. Oh, great! Now, first and foremost, do you ride a motorcycle? I am not a rider of motorcycles. Oh, okay, I have lots of friends, so I know the stories. I know that the, the love of machine and the, the the freshness of it. I've been on the, the back of other people's uh, driving, but it's not my it's my spirit. It's not my mechanical self-confidence. So it's not me. I understand. So, but but the banjo in the background is. <laughs> it is, or it's going to be. So one day, well, I'll yes, call you back and say I'm now a perseverance, my friend. Perseverance that will get you through. Um, now, was the writing of Route 66 still kick something that was planned, or was it something that was born from the trip? Born from the trip. In fact, Peter and I. Peter, my travel travel buddy, we were back from our trip a full eight months before he had any idea that I was writing about it. And one night we were out for a dinner, had far too much wine, got a friend to pick us up. And when they dropped me off, I said, come on in for a moment. And on my desk, big desk, I had the various chapters as they were evolving. And I said, I got to show you this. He said, what is it? I said, I'm writing about our trip. So that was the first he knew. Now, I'm an inveterate note taker. If, if you and I were sitting in a cafe as we were talking now, I just write things down. It's what I do. So it wasn't odd to him that I would grab the morning paper and scrawl something on it, rip it up, put it in my pocket. Yeah, but I was going to ask one of the things I wanted to ask you about is like when you're doing and I, many of my guests, I've asked the same thing. When, when you're traveling like this and you're, you know you're going to do a book about it or you think you're going to do a book about it, how do you document everything that you say or said to you along the trip? Well, it, it, it 
happens in snippets. I think the more disciplined professional writer eventually gets it right. And on my fourth travel book, the one I just mentioned, I made better notes and kept track of them. I wrote a book that came out in 2008 called To Timbuktu for a Haircut, A Journey Through West Africa. And I was quite disorganized. I had journals of three different sizes. I'm not a journal keeper, but I would make notes. But I would make notes in a small uh, binder. And then the next one I picked up might be large. I might pick up a mid-sized one and start at the back of it. I didn't date them. And when I came to decide that I had a story to tell and I was going to write a book, it took a lot of work for me to get organized because of my lack of discipline and, and forethought in, right. in note-taking. Okay. Now, because I know some authors use a, a digital recorder to record certain things along the way or video just to, just to spark their memory. Me, if I were to do something like that, I've got a, I've got a memory like a colander. So it just kind of all just seeps through, and I would have to take extensive notes just to remember half of that stuff. Uh, uh, you know. I have the opposite memory. I, oh. I trap. I trap things. Oh, okay. And I, a, a quickly scrawled note might put me back into a conversation where I, I can recall it. I don't take a lot of photographs. Peter took a lot of photographs, and they were terrific memory jogs. So if I was writing about this and and seeing you on the screen, I would. I would know that there were headphones and guitars in the back, but all of that stuff. Right. So it enlivens the scene for the reader. Okay. Now, th tell us what prompted this decision to do the Route 66 trip anyway. Well, Peter and I had traveled a few years before in Libya and Algeria, and we'd gotten into some mischief, particularly in, in Libya, out in the middle of the desert, place we had no business being. We actually had a head-on collision in the middle of nowhere Sahara Desert going up a hill on a run and another vehicle absolute unfortunate serendipity coming across and bang so it could have been a very awkward situation we could still be there in other circumstances but humor evolved and we got through it and on we went so move forward a couple of years Peter and I are out for drinks saying we should go on another trip and out of the absolute blue he channeled whatever the universe wanted, I guess. And he said, what about Route 66? <laughs> and I said, do you know where it goes? And he says, no. I said, well, why Route 66? He said, well, I just said it. Like it was that simple of a thing. So of course that night I began to research it and pop up some stuff. And within five weeks we were on the journey. And you, you, you limited yourself to 12 weeks, Why uh, 12 days. Why is that? Well, we said that we wouldn't have prepackaged food, we wouldn't have prepackaged plans, we wouldn't bring along any music of our own, we kind of let things involve. So we bought tickets that were 12 days later out of LA and we said we'd meet up in Chicago with a rented vehicle. And that was the extent of our planning. We thought we'd be able to do it and in fact didn't find rushed days and it, and it worked out well. Could okay. we've used another week? Yeah, but you can... You can go from Chicago to L.A. in three days if you get up each morning and just chase pavement. Oh, sure. Absolutely, you could. Now, speaking of your traveling companion, Peter, uh, I got the impression that the trip with Peter was sometimes challenging and other times it was just steeped in practicality because Peter came across as a very practical guy. Uh, so it was, it was that was quite interesting for sure. Was that interesting for you? It was. We had a... a 
business business relationship in that I used to work for him. Okay, we had a, a friendship sort of evolving, and happenstance put us together. But you're right; he's he's a piece of work. He is a <laughs> lot of work to travel with, and if he was on this, he right now would be the contrarian, saying that he was easy easy to travel with but i was really irresponsible not properly prepared and naive and probably possibly immature so so i would just i would just throw all those labels his way you hit it though he is practical to a fault and he's gregarious i, I write in the book that, that he could have a conversation with a stop sign he's just one of those people who can can do anything and if he's in the distance you can always tell he's there because he's loud and he's got this amazing deep laugh. It's uh, kind of like a, a a railway signal before a level crossing that tells you there's danger ahead. Yeah. Wow. It was. Uh, well, let me ask you this: way. I don't. I never ever delve into this, but I'm just going to throw it at you. With both of you that were on either sides of the political platform, left and right, did that create a problem at all? Well, it, it did in terms of a lot of the sarcasm I didn't put into the book. Okay. And, and in fact, something that is never in the, the, the book is that our year of travel was 2008. And it was in the run up to the election of Obama. Oh, really? So one of the lovely things about Route 66 is that there are eight states, countless communities, people who are honest to the bone. They're just forthright. Sure. They'll tell you whatever they're thinking. And you drive through... Um, in, in fact, we came to the conclusion that at the time, the most successful ticket to win the election in Route 66 would be some com combination of, of McCain and Obama on the same ticket because people shared so many of the philosophies of either person. Route 66 is all about practical America. Right. It's all about help your neighbor. Yeah. It's all about, you know, yeah, you're a bit right, but I'm a bit more right. But OK, you won that last argument. I want to win this one. It's it's lovely. And yeah. it's I would say America at its best. Wow. wow. Now let's talk about the trip a little bit. Uh, you both elected on starting in October. Why yeah. or why October? So fall is my favorite time of the year. Oh, me too, yeah. Yeah, and, and so it's, uh, it, it's, it's beautiful with all of the colors. There's less traffic on the roads because more people are back in school. Uh, you get a, a different type of show up, knock on the door at a motel, and they've got room for you rather than the busy summer period. So all of those things played to our wanting to to just go and, de and stop where we wanted to stop. We literally did not have any plans other than the first morning when we got up, we had to find a map and start going. All right. Well, speaking of that, and I already asked you about the, the limitation of the 12 days, but it was still a relaxed trip despite the fact that you only had 12 days to do it. Not only relaxed, but the the one quest that we had, which was Peter's quest, and, and you identified quite rightly that he's practical. He also, when he is fixated on an idea, he's immovable. So when he said, let's go find all the old parts of Route 66, he didn't mean some of the old parts. He, he didn't mean a sampling. He meant all of them. So throughout the book, and I think it makes for some of the most entertaining certainly from a traveler's point of view escapades we we would like we'd drive down a 20 mile dirt road knowing it, it was a dead end knowing that we weren't going to see anybody else on the road but that it had once maybe for three or four years in the 
1920s or early 1930s, it for a few years was was part of Route 66 before it was bypassed by pavement politics. Right. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I'll, we'll talk about that in a bit. <laughs> but um, now there was a dis- little bit of the disparity uh, of the length of the trip as far as it goes from miles that you were going to do. What did uh, what did you think was going to be compared to what Peter thought and what it actually was? So if, if one got up and if one traveled on a motorbike or a, a, as, as we did in a, in, a, in a Mustang convertible, if you travel and you want to drive from Chicago on parts of old Route 66, it's really about 2,300 miles. And, and some places you're on new highway where it, it overtops some of the old route. Other places you, you can easily divert and get on to nice stretches. Like in Missouri, there's some like two-hour drives where you're just, it's just beautiful. You're just in, it, 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 it's, it's a, a, a driver's heaven. And, it, and it's visually quite striking and it's informative and you just, you, you just love being there. But we put on hundreds of extra miles because of our digressions. Yeah. And sometimes Route 66 would have taken over the years three or maybe even four different routes through through the same small town or same city, a little bit to the north, a little bit to the south, through the main street. So we would drive, then we'd go back and we'd redrive to see the other. And that adds mileage, adds time. But we were never pressed. We got in in late at night sometimes that was usually because peter got us lost or i got us stuck in the mud (laughs) uh how many miles did you finally end up doing on that i would say probably about 2600 so about 300 more than okay it was just a drive that's acceptable (laughs) yeah now for this trip uh i know you guys would have liked uh the same vehicle that they used in the tv show from the sixties, uh, the uh, the Corvette and uh, the the TV series uh, Route sixty six, you ended up with a convertible Mustang. Yeah. What year was that? What year Mustang was it? Two thousand eight. It was a two thousand eight. Okay. Yeah. Now was, was that a brand- well was that a premeditated decision to just get that, or was that a spirit of the moment decision? No, we thought about a, a character car first of all. We tried about the Mustang, and then it, it, we, before we tried the Mustang, we specifically wanted the Stingray or the Corvette rather. Then. That wasn't to be. When when we found them, the insurance was unacceptable sure. in terms of the cost right. of, of doing it. And and thank heavens we had a rental vehicle that we could take places one shouldn't necessarily take a car. One should have a four by four. So we wouldn't have done that. We also thought, you know, could we get a like a fifty seven Chevy or could we get something like that that would right. add right. to the our visual romance of it all? But we didn't. <laughs> and so. Off we went, and actually we had had help from uh, one of uh, Peter's colleagues to find a car. And at first she came back and she said, "Okay, I rented your car, and it was a, I don't know, a Chrysler Sebring or something." But it it didn't, it didn't have it. We said, "No, it has to be a convertible." Yeah. And try try for a Mustang because it's got cachet. Right. And, and that's how we had, that's how we we ended up we ended up with it. When you first got the Mustang, was was it ever considered that perhaps this was or likely the absolute wrong vehicle for the trip. We never thought it was wrong. I got into Chicago before Peter did. He'd never been to Chicago. Okay. He's traveled the world, but he'd not been there. He landed at the airport, picked up the rental car, promptly got lost on his way in 
to town. So showed up like oh, two hours late. I don't know where he had been, but he was two hours late. So the, the car from the start became a, 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 a a travel companion, like a like a third character. Right. In fact, I write about this in the book. But partway along, we nicknamed it Shadow, and and Peter often would talk to the car when he was annoyed with me, and he'd be talking to Shadow <laughs> yes, like this inanimate object, and he'd be complaining to it as though I wasn't there, or he'd talk to it like in the third person, <laughs> which I thought was a bit weird, but ultimately was quite engaging. But I, I get the impression though that you, well, at, at times. I got the impression that you realized that we are absolutely in the wrong vehicle. You, you, you are, are true. We, we were in, in one place in Texas where we we're on the old, old, old road and we're driving over ruts where there are some pictures in, in the book, uh, Route 66 Still Kicks, that, that show just how deep these were. We realized we should be in a four by four Jeep or something <laughs> like that yes. because those roads are really demanding and we would drive on some of them we'd drive a long way and you'd come to where there used to be a bridge or there were the remnants of a bridge yeah. that that you just knew you couldn't go across and there'd been a blockade put there for safety purposes but with the right four by four we could kind of drive through it in fact peter with his his wanting to wanting to overcome some of the obstacles. We drove on a road we had no business having a Mustang on. We got down where there was a creek, and the creek was maybe only about 50 feet across, fairly fast flowing, but we couldn't tell how deep it was. But Peter said, I want to cross it, I want to cross it. But I think what he really wanted, it turned out, was to look like he had crossed it. So what we did is we nosed into the water, backed up, drove 10 miles down that dirt road, crossed over to another point, came back 10 miles, backed the car in, and he wanted the second picture <laughs> looking like he was the victor driving out of this. Weird, I know, but it was sure fun. Yeah, meanwhile, sure fun. the car is bone dry on the outside. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> uh, now, with regard to this, you both established some rules to the trip, but one of which was no GPS. Did you eventually regret that decision? No, because a GPS would have saved us from ourselves. And, and oh, okay. Well, happenstance, yes. and, right? One of the best things of a road trip, unless you're traveling maybe with a, a, a wife who, or a spouse that you're cared or concerned about, or children, one of the best things is, is not knowing for sure where you are. Right. Uh, or right. being, as we were, outright lost. Because it, your antennae go up, you, you have to problem solve. We once were lost in the pelting rain on the convertible roof of the car. The lights didn't work very well. We couldn't see what maps we'd gathered, and we didn't know where we were. So your your heart goes faster. The excitement goes faster. And when you later on are having a couple of beers and nachos, the satisfaction of having overcome some road trip right. odds against you is really satisfying. A GPS would have inserted another voice into the narrative. And, and I think that would have been disturbing. I guess it would have been, yeah. Could have. Now, you had some road rules, though, which I, felt, which I felt were quite interesting. One of the, the first one was you, you guys are going to swap driving time and take turns navigating. Now, you right. did stick to that. We did. You did stick to that. And I, I thought at times maybe this guy shouldn't be navigating. But <laughs> how was that decided, though? It was... Kind of the flip of the coin. He'd, he'd driven at the start, 
and then like he drove into Chicago. So the next morning he had the keys, he was at the wheel and I wasn't insured on the car. Oh yeah, so that's right. It, it became a challenge because I wanted to be driving in the worst way, but there we are going through Illinois. I can't, I can't drive. And we get to St. Louis and we're trying to find an insurance place that well, but we're late in the day. So we ended up having to drive to the airport at St. Louis so that I could get the August signed on to the insurance coverage. And the next day I got to drive, which was, I was really excited. So we did swap and the deal was, as you say, you respect that the other person is the navigator. That didn't always prove helpful. <laughs> did you stick to that though? We we stuck pretty much to it, except when when he ignored my uh, my, my suggestions or or when I was just <laughs> dead wrong. And I I err on the side of of the risk. So we ended up uh, in in uh, one situation getting stuck in in the mud. It was specifically because. I had driven us down a road that he, as navigator, said, don't go down there. We, we just had a delightful breakfast with some of the locals. And the one thing they said is, don't go on any mud um, if it's raining. And it wasn't raining, but it had rained the night before. So we got you know a few miles down this, and we just ground to a halt in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. But it was part of Route 66 right. in right. Oklahoma for five, six years in the 1920s. Why not see it? Exactly. You know, and, and I do know from listening to the audiobook uh, that you guys pretty much ignored many signs that say, don't ride on this road if it's raining. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Well, part of road, okay, road rule, getting back to road rules, road rule number two was never order the same meal twice. Did that, did that work? Yeah, it was great. The last thing you need to do is to go have bacon and eggs every morning. The whole bit about about pancakes or there was one diner that we were in that had this marvelous greasy double doubled over everything was bigger and better than you could imagine and it looked un- inedible when you first glanced at it but we just the chow down the the, the the taste was awesome and you got this amazing music in the background you've got whatever we were the waiters and waitresses they were just like remarkable individuals with their own stories many of which i recount in route 66 still kicks because they're the they're the not just the heart of the road but the heart of the country sure absolutely so so we we stuck to that rule we um we sometimes would have to remind the other that just because you're feeling like a hamburger you've already had one no hamburger have the pork chops whatever and 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 so we we complied and i don't think we ever had um, the same meal twice. We might have had pancakes with blueberries and then waffles with strawberries, but everything was different. Did you gain any weight on that trip? Oh, probably, but I think the unstated rule of, of, of a road trip is is uh, one should always be in denial. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> but we had another we had another rule, which was our ten second rule. Yes, I recall. I want to talk to you about that in a second. Uh, yeah. Now, you, number rule number three was no recorded music, but that failed right away. It seems before you even got out of Illinois, it failed. It did. What we didn't want to do was bring any of our own music. I don't want to listen oh. to his favorite discs from home or his iPhone or anything like that. So it was only music we could pick up along the way. But you you are spot on. The original bit was that we're going to listen to local radio stations all the way, right. and that that would be our music. And and you you get terrific news and a feel for the country by the local stations, local baseball game, all sorts of wonderful yeah. trivia and stuff and 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 ambiance. But we we 
did pick up some really good road music. I know, I know probably almost by heart, 30 road trip songs that I had never heard before. Right. And none of my friends know them when I play to them. They don't even necessarily like them when I play for them. But the remarkable music, if you, if you've, been forced by availability to listen to each of the songs 27 times yeah well you know the other thing about that is like when you are when you pigeonhole yourself into listening to the radio this is what we're going to listen to you, you while you might get the local stuff unfortunately you get the national stuff too yeah. and that kind that can kind of kill the whole vibe of the trip you know you, you don't need to hear about international incidences and things like that when you're trying to do this fantastic trip you know you know i like that you say that because being on the road is an excuse for a, a certain escapism. Exactly. And, yes. and you can leave pretty much everything at home. I'll tell you, when, when I've gone on, on trips like to Mount Ararat and Eastern Turkey and Iraq, and then I had said to family, I'm, I'm gone. I'll be back in a month. And I don't know. I'll get a chance even to drop you an email. I like that. I like the, the, responsibility of that irresponsibility if that's fair to say yeah no i get that either way and, and absent any notion of any obligation to, right. to to communicate but i had said that to janice my two sons on route 66 i said i'm gone for 12 days i'll let you know when we get to la that's all you're going to hear yeah, from you me. unplug completely which is which is admirable for sure well it's admirable except on the fourth night out you caved Peter was in his, no, Peter's in his room, I'm in my room, we met up for a beer or something, he shows me, every night he'd been posting pictures back to my wife and two sons. <laughs> so, so they knew what we were doing through Peter, and why not be, so I couldn't influence. But I you did cave him. once, you did cave once. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Now you, you avoided prepackaged foods, which, which is great, I like that. How did that work out though? You know, one of the things about Route 66 is that there are lots and lots of diners. Some of them you just feel like you're you walked into the 1950s. Others a bit more modernized, like a movie set, but they've still got all this tone and yeah. the, the Melnac and, and stuff like that. The food was exceptional. So finding good food yeah. was not a problem. Turning down the, uh, the temptation to to sample every home-cooked pie or Ugh. every home-cooked biscuit or the local gravy all the time, that that you, you would just be, you know, when you're driving, you're not getting much exercise. You would be full all the time. But we relished in, in the meals. And I would say that traveling Route 66 is a a, a foodie's dream trip. Really? Because, yeah, you're, you're going to find everything. Not if you pull into the chain places because you're right. going to get exactly. chain, chain descriptions, chain menus. But there are so many out-of-the-way places or still the, the ma and pa type of yeah. restaurant. You know, in the 1920s, if you and I wanted to go into the restaurant business on Route 66, we could order up uh, a mail-order kitchen setup, and it would arrive with stools and stuff. You could kind of set that up. Sure. That, that type of every menu is different, and everything is kind of homemade. We, we found a lot more of that than I, I thought we would. Really? Now, wait, what'd you yeah. do about, do you just have snacks in the car with you when you're riding? You know, we actually avoided the temptation to have a bunch of chocolate bars unless, and again, this is something you get in the middle of America. You come across a lot of chocolate bars you're not going to find in Chicago or L.A. They're just, they're there because they're, I don't know, limited edition. Or yeah. they're, 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 they're 
you know, the, the chocolate maker is, is local or well, stuff like it's that. It's left over from 1940, local. right? <laughs> yeah. So, so all of that, um, yeah. it, and you become a bit of a opportunistic eater. You, you find something, it looks good and you, and you try it. And in a lot of these places, they've got, they've got the homemade granola that you can take and take into your, your car. Yeah. You, you end up having milkshakes of flavors that you, you know, the local berries that you, you again, they never make no it kidding. into the mainstream of the restaurant, but they're there. You've got to try them. Custard, all of that. It's fantastic. I would have had like milkshakes every day. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing you had though was like no prearranged experiences. Why don't you give us an example of that? So what we wanted to do was avoid feeling that we were being managed or showing up on a a, a local tour yeah. that was taking advantage of people around Route 66. And there are a number of those. I think if you've got a family, you want to go into the caves, you want to go you know, see the big blue whale. We were kind of drive by those and we had an abundance of spontaneous experiences that i think of travelers are open to it yeah. and and admittedly a little a little bit yeah, indifferent to the risk you, you 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 will have those what we didn't want to do was to come back and have an experience that you were hearing about from other people and we came back feeling that our travels on route 66 were one off they were unique that that it was the road had delivered to us Right. Now you had, uh, well, there's one, one other thing. There was two other things, actually. You had avoid predictable America. What does that yeah. mean? So the, the, I, I think one example would be the music. If you Google road trip music, you're going to hear a whole bunch of songs that are they're kind of predictable. If you looked at the top 50, you're going to say, I've heard them all. I know them that would have been predictable America. Right. What okay. we ended up with was picking up um, Woody Guthrie songs that you never hear because they were never really popular, but they're about Route 66 or about the Dirty 30s. and they're, So that was the unpredictable part. I think the other was that um, we, we, weren't, we weren't looking to see the, um, the, the franchise hotels. We were looking to oh, get into places that, that Again, if I stopped there, um, my wife Janice wouldn't necessarily say, let's go in, whereas Peter was, okay, let's go. And you would go in and you, you sensed that there were sometimes ghosts. Uh, we stayed at places that, that, that had you know, 12 rooms, but, but only three of them were in service, that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. And that, that is the unpredictability. And I think the other thing is that we wanted just to find the the... The, I don't. It's not fair to use the term "real Americans," but the, the people who who just had unfettered opinions—they just told you what they were thinking. They they would tell you not to eat a certain thing that's on the menu, even if it's popular, because this over here is their personal favorite. So and they, the filter they, list, they, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it was it was it was charming. It was informative. They they, they talked politics. It was. It was not with the expectation that you had to even agree with them. They just telling you what they think, and and they'd want to know what your views were. And all of that is an absolute delight. Yeah, and I think un, un, unpredictable. And you know, we would have people say, "I know you're driving down Route 66, you know, but what you got to do is take a left turn up here because that used to be Route 66. It's not on your map, but you drive that for 10 miles and come back and tell me what you think." Wow, wonderful, eh? And that's the unpredictable America. So, so you went after 1950 America, is what you did. Yeah, true. You know, and, true. That, and that's pretty much what you found along the way. It, it, it surprised and sur 
surprisingly good quantity and and it it's it's there and you know as time goes on uh, there was there was one place that we wanted to go to it was a, a well-known stone restaurant and when we got there it had, had burned um, and, and the fire had basically destroyed it so when my book was being written i sent it to uh, a couple of people uh, one who publishes the route 66 magazine quarterly and another who had done a guidebook to route 66 and one of them wrote back and said you got to change that because it's been rebuilt in the last year well that's wonderful and so it gets rebuilt it's a bit more modern but they built in the the comfort of the coziness and the atmosphere of route 66 oh that's great yeah that's yeah. really good now there's two remaining things that rules you created one was the 10 second rule and then mm. the five second rule yeah you, you got to explain those okay well the, the five second rule actually had, had come out of something um i once said to my wife i said you know there's nothing wrong in our relationship that couldn't be cured by a five second pause button and so i said that to peter early in the trip and that just meant that if the other person said something that irritated you, which because of our differences in politics or because of differences in one could be hungry, one whatever, if you irritated the other person, you just bit your tongue for five seconds and let it pass. So I think it eased the tension because, you know, 10 hours a day with another person and Peter's larger than life. He's a big guy. He takes up a lot of airspace and oxygen. <laughs> He's funny as can be. He's absolutely number one travel companion for something like this. I couldn't have had a more enjoyable person. But it 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 came with a lot of things in him that that might create tension or irritate me, or me that irritated create tension in him. Oh sure, yeah. Delightful in, in re- retrospect. Right. But we needed the five second. The ten second was different. Yeah. The ten second. The 10 second rule required action on behalf of the other person. So if I said, let's take the next turn off, Peter had 10 seconds to disagree and I would count them because quite often it's arbitrary. You want to go there or you want to draw or you want to stop, whatever. And if you say it and you're the driver, you've got control. The other person had 10 seconds to respond or shut up. So if I said, let's take that turn off. Peter doesn't say anything in the first 10 seconds. I take the turn off. If he starts to complain, I can just let him say, huh? Like, like, let the air out of your tires. Yeah. No, stop. Because you didn't. On the other hand, quite often, one of us would say, let's do this. And the other would go, one, two, three, no. So. <laughs> now, I got the impression that sometimes your accommodations along the way were... Yeah, what's the word? I guess a little bit too historic. So <laughs> yeah, maybe. Was that accepted as part of the experience, or did yes. you just, you know, kind of begrudgingly tolerate it? No, no. We, first of all, I've I've had the good fortune to travel a lot, and and part for work, I've had nice digs, often on, on say business trips, and I've stayed in absolutely. Uh, really sort of primitive uh, situations. I traveled in yes, good word, West primitive, Africa. Right. I mean, I would, at night I would sleep on the home of, of a one-story mud home in a little village in the middle of the Dogon area. Night after night, I would just, it would be a different village, different roof, but just sleep there under the stars. And yeah. it was, you know, you'd walk up a little log to get to the roof. I mean, it was fantastic. So I'm, I'm not fussed about accommodation. 
Um, I actually write in, I don't know if it was in this book or another book, that the difference between Janice, my wife, and myself is that that I like sleeping out under a million stars. You said she it likes in this book, yeah. Under five stars, all on the back. Of the <laughs> yeah, I can, so, I can, I can understand that. <laughs> so, so we, we, um, we just took what was there because we didn't have to be anywhere. We we'd drive through a town and say, I think maybe we should stay here for the night, and the other person would go one, two, three, four, no, and then we'd drive on, and we'd one of us would just pull into a. A, a motel because it had it just oozed character yeah. and and they were they were just so often you just knew they had more history than they could ever ever share with you and 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 the people running these you'd go in and it might have been in the family ownership it might be one of the kids at the counter it it uh, we were in some places that were were truly historic but a lot of them they're just they would be easy to drive by but the moment you stop you you just get drawn in like a like a, a visual trap door that says welcome to 1952 and there you are and here's yeah. your room which was last made up in 1953 <laughs> and we dusted. wow then, you know, yeah. if you like that yeah for there's a lot of that along the, the route and the people again i don't want to i maybe am overstressing that but but at every place we yeah. felt safe we felt cared for we felt welcome we, we not just felt welcome, but we felt wanted. Well, that's like, interesting. You, that's yeah, interesting. you're helping yeah. with the local economy, but but it's we've probably both shown up on trips where you're someplace nice, you go in, and the welcome's kind of false, and you know that when they see you, what they're hearing is a cash register ring. Exactly, yes. These places, when we walked in, it was kind of, well, how, you know, where have you driven from today? You know, what do you think about tomorrow? And when did you last eat? Or if you had that for lunch, let me send you to a place for or I'll make you something out of my kitchen. This, this, sort of the homegrown America. Yeah, yeah. Just the realness of it all was was quite lovely. Well, we'll talk about the people in a second. But getting back to the accommodations, uh, did and maybe this went against your rule, and that's why you didn't do it, or maybe you did do it. Did you stay at any any of the classic places that still exist that are that are part of the everyday narrative of route 66 now you know these specific hotels that's still there that everybody goes to right so the, the harvey hotels were around for a while we stayed at at la fonda in in santa fe which is part you know the, the route the route got redirected out of santa fe um decades decades ago um, but it, it was a a spot uh, we found a, a, a couple of others that were were steeped in in maybe the movie making history and in in, in um, parts of, of Arizona. You know, they used to make the westerns and they have you know John Wayne up on the wall right. and things like that. But mostly we were in in uh, in in heritage terms, kind of nondescript. But in in um, another interpretation of the word heritage, they were absolutely exactly what you would want to, to do. If you're trying to feel like you're experiencing um, a, a, a Route 66 sense of itself, right. it's, it's sort of that the the unpaved Route 66, if yeah. you will. That's sort of unvarnished, yeah. yeah. Did, uh, I have to ask this. Did Peter get his way with the room rates all the time? You know, pretty much. I mean, he is the ultimate negotiator, and, and he does it 
he does it like you and I might throw darts or shoot pool. It's it's a sport. And his starting point is, you know, we can get better rates. I mean, there was one one time we were in a place and the woman said, it'll be $68 a night. Peter says, well, that's more than we paid last night. She said, well, you didn't stay here last night. So <laughs> I think at, at, every, at every, and this would be another um, comment about the, the, just the, the savviness of the people we met. In every instance of him beginning the negotiations, uh, he might win out, but it might be like by a dollar and a half because somebody lost interest in keeping negotiating. But 100% of the time, he met his match. Oh, that's I mean, cool. they were quick off. They were quick on the, the wit. And he, you know, he said, um, would it be less if my buddy here slept in the car instead of took a room? That's uh, right. You know, the comment, the response to that was, right, <laughs> the parking spot is $62 a night. <laughs> so, I got so, a kick out so of that. I, I have to... <laughs> Um, I have to say that that he, because um, he comes out of the business world, he met a different, higher caliber of business person, who was just they knew that we had what they want, what they had what we wanted, yeah. and and why should they drop it by five bucks just because some city talking guy yeah. tries to have them on? But he and he he was really good with all. He was always polite, but he's he's tenacious, so he might go on a bit too long. Um, but they they would call him on it, and he would always congratulate them on on their end of the negotiations. He was good about that. He's gracious. That was great. Let's let's talk about the, some of the people. Now you you seem that you continually met people along the way that were generally fascinated with what you guys were doing. Uh, was everyone as genuine as those people? You know, I if, if we did meet some people who were disingenuous, um, we wouldn't have spent much time with them. I don't. I don't think um, I'm not. I'm not recalling much of that. What I'm I'm finding is you know, we, we, we met one fellow who ran an old uh, service station that he'd, he'd remodeled and and fixed up, and he was so good. And then in pulled two guys in a convertible red '58 Chevy. They were just out for a drive, and he introduced us to them because he knew them. And we're all standing. We just and you get into car talk. It was just that was replicated, whether it was in a diner or a, a, a stop to gas up, consistently. And and part of it is I think that many people get to drive a short snippet of Route 66. Yeah. So getting on it for a, a couple of hours, lots of people do. You know, millions of people live within um, proximity to, to Route 66. So being on it isn't itself rare. What is rare is that, what's uncommon is that most people say they want to drive Route 66 and drive a part of it, or they say they'd like to see the old parts, but after a couple of them, they get nervous or they give up or they're more concerned about stone chips in their windshield than they are about the adventure. So what we were doing, um, people not only liked, but they, they, they kind of like enabled or they, they furthered. And, and often that was with information of, of where we would find a ghost town that if we went there it would be worth the drive but nobody else bothers with the drive because there's nothing when you get there except a ghost town well we were in ab- absolutely enchanted that's we the reason you do it yeah yeah it gave us a, a, a destination not one that that had any activity or hot coffee but but just being in a, a place where there's no one else but you and the wind is and the rattle of clapboard i mean that's and and not even drying paint but Fading, chipped off, peeling paint. That's 
how do you how do you how do you find that experience in today's world? Yeah. And you know, amongst all the modern parts along Route 66, there's really good accommodation for those that want it, and there's pavement without you know so much as a, a patch. There's that that's modern Route 66 in many many places. But there's also these um, uh, just digressions that that give you a different tone of, of the country and of um, of people and and people who don't suffer fools. You know, when I was doing something stupid like i was trying to get into a, um, a a bookstore that was the roof had collapsed nobody had been in it for a i guess a long time and i was jimmy in the door and out comes the caretaker with a rifle <laughs> oops peter calmed the situation to his credit but the guy comes up well, then next thing you know he's got a, a, a fire pit he's got his fire going he's holding his rifle but he's telling us route 66 stories his life story is coming back from, from Vietnam and how he was wounded. And here's a remarkable individual who's made great contributions to his country and has chosen to live in the middle of nowhere. And he shares all of that with us. Right. Put us two hours behind our, our where we're going to stay that night. So we got to someplace in the dark. But what an experience to be able to talk about with you now. Of course. Absolutely. Uh, now, I got the impression, because I'm, when I'm listening to this, many times you guys would go into a diner or a restaurant. And people seem to just help themselves to whatever it is they wanted there, yeah. be it coffee or something to eat. And it, it, not necessarily a waitress or a proprietor of the place, but somebody sitting at the counter would say, would you want some pancakes? And it's like right. everybody worked there, it almost seemed like. It, did that, was that a, a constant? It, it was, it, if not a constant, it was, it was certainly not uncommon. And it was, we were fellow patrons, locals. But they would pour our coffee. They would they would say to the cook what we wanted. The one instance you talk about, um, they they said, "Oh, you're going to have the pancakes." And it wasn't you should have the pancakes. It's you're going to have the pancakes. So order the pancakes. <laughs> and, and, and and then another guy comes in to join them. But before he sits down with them, he sees two strangers in his local diner. He picks up the coffee pot off of the, the you know the cook's area, takes out, tops up our coffee, pours his own. Says hello to us and sits down. Yeah, there was another incident. I, I just, I, I, I just heard it. He, this gentleman came in. He picked up the coffee pot and he like filled like four or five people filled their cups yeah. with coffee yeah. without even asking. Just here, coffee. Oh, you know, it is. <laughs> I saw one guy do it in, in one of those places. He poured us all of it coffee and he looked at it and it was out. So what, what started out was going to be his coffee. He had to wait for the next pot to yeah. be made because wow. he'd been gracious, courteous to everyone else. But I think that that that's. You know, when travel works best, travel is about meeting people who are different than you and realizing that they might be demonstrably different than me or you. But at the core, there are some really neat values. Oh, sure. That you learn. And I think, I know, I've now been in places where I've done the courtesy of pouring other people coffee that I wouldn't have done before it was done for me on Route 66. And I think, you know, that was part of the title of the book that Route 66 still kicks is sure it's old and it's tired. And yet there are places where it's got brand new pavement and new diners, but, but there is something there that harkens from an age where people respected other people just because you're in the same physical space. So, all right, we might be different as chalk and cheese, but you know, for the next 30 minutes, we're, we're going to get along. Yeah, exactly. And, and, that, yeah. and that's, that's where travel is, is travel. 
is yeah. at its very best, I think. That's yeah. great. How did you not l- lose it when you were sitting there with Gene 1, Gene 2, and Gene 3? <laughs> well, you know, I, I'll tell you that because cause there we are in, in, uh, in Oklahoma. And this was, again, it was Peter just swerved the car into this place when he saw it. We go in, and it was Homer, and and three guys in a row show up, and they're all Gene. I and and they were they were fantastic. We had at that place. Robert was the owner. We had the best pancakes I have ever had in my life with peanut butter on them and whatever secret ingredients. They were that just, I had never heard of peanut butter on pancakes. You know, I never heard and, of that. And it was it was so good. But the whole sort of 50, 45 minutes that we were with them, th- there wasn't a missed moment, even when there was quiet and they told us their stories and, and you know, one guy wanted to get off the farm so he bought the bowling alley. And, and but they just, they tell us all of this. So here's what, what um, struck me about that is that I then captured that as a writer and I wrote it and and I have a few first readers that always take a look at some things. And my wife and, and one of the others came back separately and they said, uh, you know, that's, I mean, that's really, that's a great scene. Um, but it sounds a bit made up. And I said, I can tell you, it is 100% true. I'm not embellishing. I didn't import another line from another breakfast that I thought yeah. would be here. I didn't add something to the decor that wasn't there. These, these are the real names of the people. And then the editor on the book, he said, look, he said, this is great because I, I just I didn't want it to. I didn't want somebody reading it saying, oh, this is too cute or it's too made up. He, so he inserted this is the editor twice. He said, I, I suggest you say this. And in one place, I pause and say to the reader, I'm not making any of this up. And another little bit further. And I said, that's exactly what they said. Words to that effect, exactly. because I needed to. I needed to let the reader of uh, Route 66 Still Kicks know that this scene is 100% whole cream. This is how it surfaced. This was it, not a word misspoke. And actually that morning, I, as I said, I do notes, I had the whatever local newspaper was on our diner table, and I had the court, and I just scrolled, because I couldn't believe what was happening. I just went after another, and then it began. So I had that with me. So when I, I uh, reproduced it in my writing in, 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 in the book, uh, it's, it's my, I would say, 100% accurate. Wow. And yeah, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's something that I, w- I would love to experience all those people. I have been in situations similar to that, but nothing to this extent that you have in this book. Let's talk briefly about some of your little travels you had. Aside from the times that you got, well, let's talk about that. You got the Mustang stuck a couple times. Mm. Once when Peter was driving and once when I was driving, though I was in touch with Peter earlier this morning saying that I was going to be uh, talking with you. And he said, you just make sure that he understands you got us stuck in the mud both times. but, But that wasn't true. No, it I know he did, he and, got him stuck. Got you stuck once. Well, he did, but, but but if we're with other people, he never admits that now. It, it's, <laughs> right? It, it's sort of revisionist history, and it's it's clever and engaging, but but it frustrates me a little because he really did the second time. Because by then, I think I'd learned my lesson. Because I got us stuck first on this road we had no business being on, and we were driving along. We come over, and then there's this 
big slurp of mud and you could just feel the bottom of the, the Mustang grinding to a halt. We just hissed and stopped. And there we were. And, you know, I crawled under the car, carved out as best I could with my hands and sticks to try and get mud out of the way and put gravel from the side and, and sticks under the wheels. And finally, <laughs> a guy comes along in this great big white four by four raised up. And I walk up to him up the road as he's slowly coming down because we're in the back of beyond. And, and I said to him, um, hi, I think we're stuck. And he looks at me, really? <laughs> and then he says, I'm driving here in a four by four with raised body. And I'm thinking, what in the world am I doing out here? And I come around the corner and he says, and there's a Mustang, a Mustang stuck <laughs> in the middle of the road. So he pulled us up. Wow. Fortunately, he had a chain. God, he could get around us barely um, in, in the woods and then pull back and he got us up. But the other time was was uh, 100% Peter's fault for driving where he shouldn't have been driving. And again, a, a, a young woman was driving by, radioed on the CB to a couple of her buddy friends. The two vehicles show up, they talk to us, and they get us through it. Like, just, they, they had other things they were doing that day, but they yeah. saw a couple of strangers near their land on a road they shouldn't have been on stuck in this little mud lake and they came by to pull us out I mean, how great is that well i got two questions for you well always let me ask you this first question now do you have a, this renewed respect and appreciation for mud <laughs> yeah i do i do I, that was probably the first time i'd had a formal mud bath because wow. I, I, I was literally covered. Peter holds me off at the car wash a little later. Um, but, but And then with the second instance, yeah, I, I do. I would, you know, there but for the good fortune of others, we could still be there. Yeah. We certainly could have, could have spent the night in both of those spots. But Peter no did not get dirty at all, did he, during that? No, he didn't. <laughs> no, he started out with all his shoes. It was only toward the end that he wasn't lacing them up and wore the same pair of pants two days in a row and all the pressing had gone out of them. And and and, um, and he, he was, he, you know, he would stubble on his face and all of that. So it, was, it was great to see the transition. I think that's one of the endearing parts of the, of the book is how Peter's character went from overly prepared, sort of a control of everything, to giving giving travel a, a really nice, friendly shrug, saying, you know, what will be will be, and 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 going with. It. But you're right; he didn't get a speck of mud on him until I kicked mud at him both times, just out of principle. I thought that was funny. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, speak, uh, two things. Uh, I, I got the impression that both of you seem to take great pleasure in irritating the crap out of each other. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're you're right. We've we've um, we've a friendship that has been tested a lot, <laughs> in part like my traveling yes, yes. in, in <laughs> other parts of the world and to Japan together and that. But in, in maybe calmer situations, but, but, but you're right, we, we, the, the bit of the competitive one-upmanship, trying to oh, sure. get, get yeah. ahead, there, there's that, there's the, you screwed up last time, I'm not going to do it now type of thing, but you, you, you <laughs> overstep that. We both overreach, and, and we both need, um, we both benefit from adult supervision, and, and at times there was none present. 
yeah. in the car. And, and so the behavior was a bit juvenile. And, and some of the banter was a, a, a bit more like, like grade nine than grade eight. Yeah. And, 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 um, and it, was, it, it was fun. It was never forced. What happened was, and I try to recount this in, in, in the book, what happened was as genuine as uh, could happen between two guys on a, on, on a road trip. This is how it would be. It'd be different with a, a, with a guy and his wife or, or a, a guy and his father. Things would be, just be different. The two buddies of a similar age that are um, not young kids are, are, you know, they're set, we're set in our ways. And, and it led us into more enjoyable vignettes than we otherwise would have had, for sure. Oh, sure. That was the outcome. That was oh, the outcome. Absolutely. Now, speaking of this, this like, for example, this, this dirt road that you got stuck on, mud road, I should say, I, was, is that road, does that have a right-of-way, or is that just actually a path? Because most roads have a, a what they call a, a right-of-way that the township established or the county would establish through a specific parcel of land. But I wonder if does does do those right of ways still exist on these on these parts of these roads? I I don't know. I, so it was marked on an, a, a handwritten map we had that it had been printed, and it was Route sixty six for about seven years only in the early thirties. Yeah. Then it was bypassed by a, a paved route. So we were driving down the the, the paved route and responsible people would have stayed on it and I was driving and I veered off onto this because of the novelty and our quest to find all the old parts. This was an old part. So it was going through farmland. I, I would presume it has right away, but it would only be used for for farm vehicles or, or people trying to access remote yeah. farm and and as such our vehicle probably shouldn't even been on there when it was dry because it was potholy and, and everything and it was solely local local access but lured by this hey this used to be part sure. of route 66 if we're going to be true to the quest off we go off, off we, we go, off we go. Yeah. <laughs> now but if i've seen aside, peter well aside from that incidences like that which obviously are burned into your memory forever uh, i i was the whole trip burned in your memory forever or are there specific parts of the trip that stand out more than others? So I think incidents that led to anecdotes, that's always, always good. And I know that, that I wrote about more of those parts because I don't think any reader wants to read about a, a travel writer who is smarter than them or always gets easily out of situations. They don't want to read, Last night I had the best pillow in the world, and right. my meal was awesome roast beef and Yorkshire pudding. What they want is that you were so hungry that something moved on the plate, but you ate anyway because you couldn't stop. You were just hungry, right. and and that, that you scratched when you got out of bed in the morning. Stuff like that makes them think, oh, so I wouldn't want to do that, but I'm glad he did it and wrote about it. Yeah. So, so I think that maybe some of the more pleasant experiences. I didn't capture in as much detail. I mean, I can remember, I can remember driving again. There's there's a part of of, uh, of Missouri, and then there's a short little dip into Kansas, and you just really feel like time has 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 stood still to give you the privilege of driving through it. And and 
I don't know that I adequately portrayed those. Um, so I, I remember the, I remember well the, um, the, the sort of troubling times or the disconcerting times or the times of tension because they make for better storytelling. But, you know, as I get thinking about it in a conversation like this with you, the image that comes up in, in, in me is, is of, of open road and endless vistas and then a small little pocket town with nobody in it and, and being able to kind of hang around with no, no schedule. And yes. seeing, you know, we, we stopped at, at one place in, in uh, New Mexico where people were, were practicing for a rodeo. And we ended up talking to these people. When do you do that? I mean, when was the last time that most people talked to people who, who um, compete in a rodeo? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. not, it's not the people I hang out with. Yeah. I learned so much and felt so much. And we just spent hours and all of a sudden it's getting dark and, and it just everything felt right. Yeah. And it always felt right, even when it was um, kind of awkward and unfamiliar. And maybe that's why it felt right. It felt like the right thing to be doing. Right. I have to imagine that there might have been some dull moments on the trip. So, you know, I can remember saying to Peter on our sixth day, uh, there's actually a photo of, of this, though I don't make reference to this this comment, but, but I'm there, I've got a ball cap on backwards, and we're gassing up. Um, and it's, it's a little different, you know, the guy putting the gas in has a... Uh, uh, gun on his on his hip and and you know it's a remote place and, and you respect the security and all of that but i said to peter when he came out of i'd gone into the store to get something or the little the gas station when he came out i said you know if this was the last moment on our trip i think i've had the trip of a lifetime it is already we're only halfway through yeah, yeah. it's already been loaded with so much that, that i just feel this immense satisfaction of the trip so I don't remember it ever being dull um, when we were quiet we, we we could drive for hours without saying much to each other particularly if we just come off of some tension and we're just kind of letting you know it, it uh, adulthood return to the, the, the front seat of the car um, or we'd be listening to the music so I I didn't I and I don't now recall any times of being, let's get on with it, or being bored. Right. Uh, you know, when, when we got to our separate rooms at night, um, I was tired. I might read a little bit. I picked up a lot of books along the way, books about Will Rogers, because parts of it were called the Will Rogers Highway. And I'd be reading about things like that, or, or, or uh, Cyrus Avery, who had, had it was sort of the father of Route 66. So I'd have picked up some books, and I'm I'm reading them or I'd go through my notes and try to make sense of them while I could still remember what I'd scrawled in the morning and put them into a, a bit more formal format yeah. um, and think through some things. But, but it was always pleasing. It was always satisfying. That's good. Yeah. That's good. That's, that's wonderful, actually. Now, I, you did do uh, the sidewalk highway and yeah. you also stopped at Cadillac Ranch, which is yeah, everybody's got to stop at the Cadillac Ranch. Uh, how about some of the other roadside America oddities that you may have stopped at? Well, I mean, the, the, the uh, sidewalk is... That fascinates uh, it, it, me, by it, the way. It's great because they had enough pavement to do it all halfway or to do... Sorry. They had enough to pave both lanes halfway 
or just one lane all the way. So they did the one lane all the way and put it in the center. You know, cracks and me up about that, though. They never, at some point down the future, said, you know what? We got enough money now. Let's finish it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why not? But they didn't. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. So, so I think, you know, that the, um, we picked up a, a guidebook. So we would be aware when we drove by where the, uh, the first A&W and the original root beer family kind of came about or the, the, the first McDonald's. You, you would know those those little little bits of, of history mm-hmm. or, or drive by one of the old Harvey uh, hotels that was maybe being refurbished or, or, or not. Um, so we would, we would see a lot of that. Uh, we didn't stop at, at, well, I'll go back a bit. Route 66 at one point was, was um, I mean, it was populated by little things to do to keep the kids amused. Sure. And they were sort of kitschy now. But, but they've, they've also got this, that was real then, so it's still kind of real now because it never lost being real. Yeah. But some of them are in, in disrepair. You know, it, it, one of the things that I, I learned, in part through researching later, but in part just from talking to people, and this one fellow at this, this uh, refurbished gas station was explaining to us, what, what had happened was that you know, in 1926, Route 66 came together it was everything from from postal delivery routes to bicycle paths. It was it was bicycle owners who were big proponents of getting some pavement uh, on, on these places. It was it, it differed from one community to the next mm-hmm. because um, they might have the same name but go in slightly different directions, or they connected and and they needed to, all of that needed to be sorted out, and that's what Cirrus Avery and the the Route 66 Association did beginning in 1926. But but that whole sense of it, I kept on being reminded in little ways that travel then, I mean, the vehicles didn't have big trunks, so it's not like you're saying, hey, let's load up for a camping trip and throw everything in the trunk. They had small trunks. They had small gas tanks. And, and those cars weren't made to go along distance. So when they started to try and drive Route 66 and go a long distance or the distance, you know, they were, by virtue of how they were made and the, the machinery available, they kind of rattled apart. And so they regularly had to pull in somewhere and get bolts tightened and repacked and have a little meal because they weren't carrying food with them in a picnic basket. That's just not the way or it perhaps it stay over somewhere. Where they'd have to stay over somewhere, but but when they pulled in outside of of towns, that they pull in and it'd be a bunch of uh, uh, gas stations or fill up or mechanics or whatever, and th- that's where the term gasoline alley came from. Is that they would pull off into the gasoline alley and get their car kind of refurbished because the last two hundred miles had been tough on it and it needed everything from gas to bolt tightening. Um, but they also didn't; they weren't traveling with tents and all sorts of paraphernalia so you're right they needed the roadside motel and some of them themselves became um, destinations that people wanted to stay at at certain of the of of the motels because of their charm oh yeah absolutely so now you're getting closer to the end of the trip you're probably somewhere closer to the end of arizona uh did you wish at that any point that you guys gave yourself more time yeah, I didn't. I didn't want it to end. I mean, it it ended because we had that pre-booked flight. Yeah. Um, 
could we have, have spent more time? I, I, I think I think the answer to that is another question. If we had more time, how would we have spent it? And I think what we would have done is probably um, camped overnight with whatever rudimentary stuff we had in in one or two of the abandoned towns. I would I would have yeah. loved just to see what they're like oh, at sure. night when you're 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 scared and and you're not comfortable and you're you know one of you sleeping in the the small back of the Mustang, the other crouched in the front, whatever, you sleep yeah. on the ground. Um, so I, I think that I would like to have done that. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think I would like to have, have spent more time with with some of the people we we met and got impartial conversations with. And they'd say, well, you go down, you go down there. And they'd have their story. I'd like to have gone back four hours later and said, here's the adventure we had. And, yeah. and just share that with the people that, that – prompted it yeah well speaking of some of the towns that you passed through how many like ghost towns did you actually visit i mean mean, when you say when i say ghost town i mean there's buildings but there's no people yeah so so i i would say i would say a dozen or more really i would never imagine there were that many yeah and you know these aren't one or two of them would have been um a good size where you sort of got a semblance of town. Others would have been at once a, sort of a thriving road stop with maybe gift shops, service station, motel, a couple motels, and and um, uh, diner. And you could see that that was once there and is no longer. We also stopped at um, abandoned motels in the middle of nowhere and we'd go in and 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 walk walk in. There was there was one where we stopped and it was. It was spooky, but the, the, the framing still looked, you know, strong enough. But the, the roof and some of the rooms had collapsed. It was all one level. It was maybe I don't know a dozen rooms, and you go in and you would see, oh, you know, the, the wallpaper was all peeling off. The floorboards maybe had been removed for whatever reason. It was it was there, and it was. I remember this one place. I can see it in my mind because. I heard Peter coming along the boardwalk a couple of rooms down below, and I just was really, really quiet. And when he got right next to me, I jumped out in front of him. <laughs> Again, it's like it's like even like you're in grade three, but it worked. He was absolutely startled because it was a a spooky, ghostly setting. I would love to have stayed at a place like that. Wow. Were there, uh, were there any places that you would love to have returned to? Well, I. Even now. I would go to anywhere, anywhere around there. Oh, no I have not been back on any portion of, of Route 66, but I think, um, I think the the most telling parts for me, where I kind of really felt like, wow, this is this must have been what it was like to look through the windshield of a Model A or a '51 Chevy or something driving down here. No, those places would be. Probably um, some nice long stretches in Oklahoma or in Missouri, yeah. uh, but I would say that each of the eight states has something that makes it feel like Route 66 would be incomplete if that state hadn't been included, if it somehow hadn't been bypassed. That it, its its aura or its contribution to the Route 66 story is not just entrenched, but it it's if you removed it, it would be like looking at a puzzle and saying, well, there's a piece obviously missing. And, and the same, the same, I guess, when I'm thinking of that analogy, the same happens for each and every community we went through. 
there, you know, we bypass Tulsa because we go on a, where the old road used to be. And we end up with some really neat stories, some neat music that we wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, we ended up in one place with some religious music because it was the only disc they had because the, um, the, the guy who recorded it was local. And it was all, it, it was what we listened to for the next day because it was our new piece of music. So our obligation to each other was we're going to listen to this because we found music. Let it inform us. Right? Wow. It was, yeah. Wow. At, uh, at what point did melancholy set in? Mm. So I, 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 yeah, you got me thinking about that because I, I may have, you know, being, being a kid who grew up in the 60s, saw the, the, the television show yeah, yeah. Uh, and knew the song and, and the theme song from, from the TV show. And it was kind of riddled through life. Um, I, I suspect, if I'm honest, that I began the trip with a bit of a melancholy. Did Ooh. you really? Wow. Yeah, I think, I, think, I think my expectation was that, or maybe my desire was that I wanted to feel that because it was not just a, an arch back in time, but it was, it was, I was allowing myself to be, um, I just kind of drenched in nostalgia yeah. without, without having to pay tribute to nostalgia, if that makes sense. It, it, it's, it, this is, is like the, the world's longest museum. You know, it, it's 2,400 mile, I write this. It's a 2,400 mile declaration of independence, not as in the document, but in that you just keep meeting people who are independent. I don't mean you know, politically they could be independent, but whatever they're they're, polit- they're just of independent mood. Um, they're they're self sufficient. That that hit me a lot. So I think I wanted to encounter that. So I was open to it, and and I think that. If I'm honest to your question, and I hadn't really thought about this till you're sort of in this conversation, I do think that I embarked on um, a 12-day melancholy trip, wow. uh, as as it as it were, willingly so and happily so. I think I think a traveler on Route 66 has to allow themselves to, uh, and this might be tough for on some guys. But you have to let yourself be sensitive. Yeah. Uh, you, you have to let that part of you that that um, likes nourishment from a conversation yeah. be there. that that has to to realize that you constantly are in contact. We, you know, the hallmark of our, our journey was that we were always in conversations. Peter's particularly good at that. He's he he'll he'll draw people out. But a lot of these people didn't need. Too much more than to know that they had a willing listener or two. Yeah, they didn't need no prodding. You just had to say hello, basically. Right, and and they would have their story. Or, or Peter was was always he would put them first. If we were in a place, it was never hey, here's what we're doing. It was he, he would, and and he would take the lead on this more than, than me. He would be asking, how long have you worked here, or. Uh, uh, do, 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 do you live locally or is, is this a family business? He would say something that they could start to talk and they might be serving us or filling up with gas. And we just, we just learn. And what you realize is that here are people you've never met who have stories as rich as anybody on the planet. 
Yeah. By rich, I mean filled with meaning. We met one waitress who had never been 20 miles that way on Route 66 or 20 miles that way on Route 66. It seemed astonishing to us. But her life was full. The people that came into it, the, she talked about lovers, she talked about you know, boyfriends. Her life wasn't lacking for anything. Right. So my, my misguided judgment was that her life was lacking something and mine was more full. But then I realized hers is as full as she wants it to be. So yeah. where's that wrong judgment come from me, right? Yeah. I, I prejudged and shouldn't. So I, I think um, that's what the road offers if you want it. If you just want to stay in chain hotels, you still get a Route 66 taste. But but it's 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 like having a hamburger every day for lunch and the same pancakes every morning for breakfast. It just doesn't it just doesn't give you the variety that's available. So right. let yourself. Now, do you think this is something that I didn't send you earlier? But do you think that the trip you you took the trip from Chicago to Santa Monica, which is the which I guess you could is the migratory path right. of, yeah, of the road? Exactly, exactly. Do you think the the trip would have had the same feel if you went from Santa Monica to Chicago? So I, the short answer I think is no. Peter has suggested that we do it in reverse. Uh, he has a place in, in Palm Springs. He bought a um, 19, I don't know, 68 Mustang and had it refixed. Wow. And wow. He, he wants us to drive it in reverse. But, but, but as I say, that the short answer is no for the simple fact that what we did was we followed history. Yeah, and that exactly. was the point. Now, there's other history because goods were, were shipped during during the uh, Second World War, they were shipped along there. They were shipped on the, the railways along there. The whole corridor, as it began to develop, had pockets here, pockets there. There are major centers right on Route 66. Yeah. And, and, and so with all of that, I think, I think you, you would find it all going, going the other way. But there is something about, about feeling that you're in the uh, footsteps or the, the, the wheel ruts of... Um, of, of earlier travelers and and uh, as you read you know uh, the grapes of wrath um yeah, John exactly Stanford, you know and he's the one who coined the phrase the mother road uh to mean route 66 when, when you're when you're following that or dorothea lang the the uh, photojournalist in the 30s amazing when she was following migrant workers and, and documenting it for life magazine and and doing all of that it, that was kind of the direction she went so i it, it, it felt right, but if if I was to do the entire route again, I think I would do it with Peter, and I think uh, we would do, um, he's pretty persuasive, we would do it his way. Wow, okay. <laughs> now, I, I, I can imagine, I mean, just from listening to the audiobook, I got an education. How much of an education did you get about our country just from doing that trip? So I would say two things. One is I matured a lot on the trip. Uh, and I think I matured through the encounters with other people okay. and the, the, the learning. So there's that sort of societal betterment or one's fellow men and women that, 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 that you just you feel better about, but you also see some shallowness in oneself and some, some improvement. So I, I think that I got that benefit. But I learned heaps of history. And, and part of it is that when you're on the road, you'll pick up a, a book that, that maybe a saddle-stitched book that's been just, you know, 
maybe they only made 500 copies and it's only available locally. And it might be the story of a, of a lake or the development of a building or the history of the community. And we picked up a lot of that stuff. And so you're reading through it and you're thinking, I didn't know this. Maybe it wasn't important for me to know it, but now that I know it, I realize it's important. Yeah. And, and so there was, there were, there was just loads of, of that plus, um, plus history in a way that I then got sent to research. So I read an article that said the Bobby Troop song, Get Your Kicks on Route 66, right. actually had a really long version. And this was a magazine article I read. And it ended by saying the only way to determine whether the popular version is true or the longer version that some of us think is true is to get the 1946 copyright from the Library of Congress, which costs $175 an hour for the search, minimum two hours, could be more. So I went on a quest. I had a, a job at the time different than being an author. I set aside some money and I got some help from a permissions editor. I have a page in, in the book, Route 66 Still Kicks, that I call my $1,100 page because I paid the Library of Congress their minimum fee. They came back and then they said, before we can release to you a copy of the original Bobby Troop copyright, you have to give us written proof that you have permission from the copyright holders to reproduce it. Now, people reproduce the words to that song all the time. It's all over the web. Oh, sure. It shows in magazines. Nobody else pays for it. But they wouldn't release this piece of research until I got those rights. Well, I had to get the rights. They're now split within the heirs. So it's here, and then you need these people, and then they've, they've got this agent. And then it's different if you want rights for Europe, where the book was also going to be selling. So that page ended up costing me $1,100. Wow. And the answer is in the book. I shouldn't say it now. No, don't. But what I got was a copy, which I reproduced, of, of the, the, you know, the, the copyright, um, the Bobby Troop. And I should tell you as, a, as an aside there, too, that, that um, so Bobby Troop and his, his wife, Cynthia, were driving out from the East Coast to the West Coast, 1946. And I write about this. And it's, it's I just think, a, a great story. But the road was really bad. Afterwards, Cynthia says she didn't think much of the road at, at all. But there, there's one point where they're driving along, and you can just see they're a young couple. They're, the kids are with the grandparents back home. Sure. They're alone. And she kind of vamps in his ear, get your kicks on Route 66. You can see that happening. Yeah. He said later, he says, he turned, he, he almost drove in the ditch, and he turned to me and said, what a damn fine title for a song. And he began to write it, and she began to write it. And they got out the maps in the motel. They got out the maps of the route. And they began to do it. He gets to L.A. Somebody introduces him to Nat King Cole. Nat King Cole says, he had written another song. He said, have you written anything else? He said, well, he said, I just started this song. And he sits down at Nat King Cole's piano and starts to play Get Your Kicks on Route 66. Nat King Cole sits down beside him, starts to play with him, turns to him, and he says, I'm recording a new album in two weeks. You finish that song, I'll use it. Wow. And now. That. Amazing. Huh? Isn't that great? Amazing. Wow, that's cool. Wow. So yeah, I know you briefly mentioned that you and Peter were talking about that, uh, doing Route 66 in reverse, but do you guys have any plans to do another trip? Not right now. We talk about it, that, that, we, uh, that we should. We went on a bit of a... Uh, 
tour of a wine area with another buddy named Jess um, a couple of years ago, and that, that just got us away for a few days and and didn't get us in any trouble. So it was it was it was um, uh, civil by comparison. Yeah. So I, I think I think heading off on on a, another great escapade would be great. Uh, I'm absolutely committed to the. The, the importance of travel being a, a big part of your life. I mean, if you if you think about it, yeah. if you stand back from Route 66, you stand back from the United States or Canada or Australia or England. If you look around, I mean, there are 216 nations that call this tiny planet their home, and and each of us, you, me, any listener, we're only a step or two away from someone from every one of those countries. Like they could be family. They could be someone that somebody in military services has, has dealt with. They could be, they could be neighbors or, or, or they could be someone in the seat next to us in a coffee shop. Sure. So, you know, if you, if you think about it, travel more than any other activity takes down the barriers to understanding. I mean, it's about bringing people together often through uh, totally unplanned ways to, to learn from one another and to celebrate our differences. So, so I see travel as a, it's a vital force for peace um, because you don't want to harm those you've already met right. in good right. circumstances. You, you want, you want um, what is, is um, what is good for them. And I think one of the things that, that I realized talking to people of all different economic means or, or social station along route 66 is, we pretty much all want the same thing. You know, you want a exactly. soccer pitch or a football field for your kids to play in. You want um, education. You want uh, health care. You want a roof over your head. And, and you want food. And you, you want friends and you want safety. Everywhere I've ever traveled in the world, I've, I've been to North Korea. I've, I've been to Iraq. I've, I've you know, been to, to um, Belarus or, or, you know, Mali in Africa. Everybody wants the same kind of basic things. Sure. And, and what Route 66 taught me, loads of history, the maturing of, of my, my uh, self as a traveler, but it also did that reinforcement that we're all in this together. And if you want to take a little economic, social uh, slice of, of America that is worth celebrating, but, but also paying absolute stone attention to um serious attention to you find it all on on, on route 66 absolutely you know it's one of the things i always say is that if you remember back in the uh, 70s there was this phrase that was uh think globally act locally yeah okay uh, i i oh. revised that to say think locally act neighborly ah you know uh, the thing is is that it, and I, it, to me the definite the definition of a neighbor is somebody who's within arm's reach. Yes, it could be the person living next to you, but the person that's standing in line next to you in the store is also your neighbor. So if hey. you treat it that way, you know, if you're nice to your neighbor, well, hey, you know, things happen, and it'll expand. You know, I, I like that. I'll, I'll, um, I'll actually end up quoting you with attribution. Okay, uh, oh, sure, go ahead. <laughs> about that, because I, you know, you know, and what I would say, and this is an observation that just comes to me now, having heard you say that, all the different people I've spoken about throughout the eight states, often in small places, often out of the way, often by the roadside, there isn't one of them that would have reacted poorly if I had said, hi, I'm your new neighbor. 
they all would have said, oh, well, that's cool. Yeah. Let me tell you a couple of things about the place. Right. Like there wasn't anyone that I felt wished Peter and me to be gone. Uh, and part of that, I, I, I credit with Peter. He's, he is just, um, um, he's, he's a, not just a great travel companion, but when people first meet him, they end up liking him. And, and sort of maybe their defenses come down a bit. Sure. It's just, and that, that helped us a lot. But if Peter and I had said, like, we're moving into the neighborhood, um, we would have been welcomed by 100% of the people we, we met. I didn't, wow. And I think I would have had that reaction on my own, but I had it, I think, in abundance because of his, just his, um, his sort of generosity of, of, of spirit and, and sort of being non-threatening to the people. Yeah. Sure. Well, I tell you what, I really hope that you guys do another trip. And and another book comes out of it. I would definitely uh-huh. look forward to that. Uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm going to suggest the Lincoln Highway. That's oh, what, of course that's you know three thousand something miles. So you might have to give that's us a, a long, it's a long, long. <laughs> but so what's what's in store for you uh, next? What, what's coming up for you next? Well, I, I I actually had a really interesting journey last um, last summer with my ten year old grandson. And it's gotten me thinking a lot about intergenerational travel. And it's, it's my new book. Um, the, one of the best train trips in the world is called the Rocky Mountaineer. And it runs between Banff and the Canadian Rockies and Vancouver, two day trip all in the daylight. And then you can also ride it up to Whistler, which was part of the Olympics in 2010, up further to Cornell and Jasper back in the Rockies. And Riley, who is my, my, um, my grandson, Riley, and I went on this trip. Uh, again, we had a dozen days. And the history is fascinating because this is, you know, this is part of the country that Alexander McKenzie went through 11 years before Lewis and Clark became the first in, in the United States to, to cross the continent. And he did, you know, did it by land. It was the rivers like the Columbia River, which are so important to Oregon and Washington State and British Columbia and, and uh, other, other rivers, and the railway follows them. So it's, it's really got um, rich history. And so that's my next book. But what made it so um, wonderful was seeing much of it through the eyes of a 10-year-old. And the, the, again, the tension and the, the interplay between a, um, someone with 10-year-old eyes and somebody with eyes that are seven times that old. So, so uh, that book comes out in uh, September of 2020. Excellent. And uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's right now it's my favorite new book. Okay. Um, but each new book should be my favorite. Uh, at the time, uh, there will always be a spot for me that Route 66 still kicks is, is um, it's the quintessential travel book because it just, it just takes you there. And if you're the, if you're an armchair traveler, you you get the entire journey. If you're listening to it as you did uh, on an ebook, you you get it in a in, in another way. So it um, yeah, it's 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 special, and that journey is special, and and it it's quintessential America at its best. Yeah, you know, I, speaking of your your audio book, um, Brian Troxel did a fantastic job narrating that book. Isn't he amazing? It was one. Now, did he narrate your other audio books as well? No, uh, he narrated one of them, one of them, this this one, and then a different narrator did the other two audiobooks. Uh, and I'm not sure about 
um, walking with ghosts in Papua New Guinea, whether that will become an audio book. But Amazon commissioned the first three, and and I thought he did a, an exceptional oh, job with, with the narrative. There's, there's lots of different place names, and he has to kind of um, evoke a sense of different characters exactly. that you without you know it sounding too colloquial. Yeah. And I thought he did a wonderful job, and 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 established a really nice pace. For listening exactly yeah and 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 leaving as as a, a writer tries to do with the words on the page you you want someone to finish a chapter and think oh, i'll just read one more before i go to sleep so he has to do the same thing as the narrator and i thought he did it really well yeah i mean he did a wonderful job he, 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 yeah excellent i'm super happy yeah. about it but uh so how can people learn more about you and some of your other titles so i have a website which is uh, www.rickantonson.com. And I'll spell that, R-I-C-K-A-N-T-O-N-S-O-N.com. So that's there. I, 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 I'm not active on Facebook much. That's okay. Uh, though I have a Facebook page I've never been to, but I, I have someone who helps me with that publicity. Um, but I also on Twitter, and I have to read this, it's at... Ink Roads Rick, at symbol, I-N-K-R-O-A-D-S-R-I-C-K. Interestingly, I'll explain that. Ink Roads, I learned this when I traveled to Timbuktu in West Africa. In the 13th century, not that many people could write. So scholars or religious leaders who had the ability to write were said at the time to travel the Ink Roads. So I have that for um, for, for my... uh, Twitter feed. Excellent. Uh, any advice for our would-be travelers listening anything about Route 66? First of all, do it. And if that means having a sample of a few hours on it and easily accessible to them place, do it and with an open heart, open spirit. Uh, read about it. I mean, there are many, many books. There are probably four dozen books that, that are out there yeah. Uh, yeah. and, and, and respect it for what it is. If they come across some place that looks like it needs refurbishing, find a way to buy some of the gifts they're selling or some of the food they're selling because they need that coin to be able to sustain the place and, sure. and have it around a, a year from now. Um, I would say, Go go prepare it and go prepare it for some stretches where where if you let yourself get diverted off, you know you've got the warm clothing, you've got some extra food. If you've got kids with you, you've got stuff to kind of keep them amused and fed and, and and uncranky. Or your partner, if you're traveling, as Peter sometimes would say, he traveling with a cranky partner, um, find something to amuse that person. In that case, me. So so I would say that, um, and I I would say, and we learned this: make sure your vehicle's in shape. Uh, or your, your <laughs> yes. motorbike's in shape, right? I mean, take take care of it as you would yourself with with um, food stops. Just make sure the oil's okay and the gas is up. And 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 when you're down to half a tank, um, gas up so that if you come across an opportunity that someone at a gas station says, you know, you can take a detour and it's just going to take you an extra couple of hours, that you've got gas in the tank, you can go off and yeah. and, and enjoy that adventure. Um, and I, I I would say. Um, you know, 
some of the photo books that are available are good, but there's lots of rich history on each of the states. There are, are books that you can find. There are lots of information places to pull into, lots of Route 66 museums or, or old car uh, museums. Enjoy those places. But get your hair cut while you're on the route. Uh, uh, get get a, um, uh, you know, go, go for walks. Get out of the vehicle. Walk up to the bridges that are no longer serviceable or walk across the ones that can't take the weight of a vehicle. They can, can take you. Eat in out-of-the-way places. Avoid brand names. Um, try and have a logo-free trip so that your clothes aren't with logos and, and, and the places you stay um, are, are, are independent. Because Route 66 is about independence of the spirit. Sure, These, the, We met some of the most self-sufficient people in their in their mind, in their their hearts. Uh, and I would say, if, if you come across as as we did um, on one occasion, a church, and we were non-religious people, go into the church. You go in. You, you that's where the locals are. That's where you're going to get yeah. coffee afterwards. It doesn't. You're not compromising anything by opening yourself up to the experiences of, of other people who are there. That's their community lifestyle. Go go to a, a local flea market if you see one. Stop. You don't have to buy anything. They would buy something because it helps with the local economy. But but it helps with the, the, the tourism economy. But but go look and see. You will see things that people have used on the farms for 50 years and then don't use anymore. You won't even know what it is until you talk to somebody about it. And they'll share those stories. Yeah. Listen to those stories. All right, Rick. Well, listen, I want to thank you for uh, being on the show with me today. It was a, a wealth of information, and I really appreciate it. Please say hello to Peter for me and I tell will. him that I appreciate all of his uh, antics uh, along the trip. So listen, everybody, uh, go on to audible.com. If you're into audiobooks, go on Audible and get uh, Route 66 Still Kicks by Rick Antonson. Uh, you know, it's driving America's Main Street. Or get over to Amazon and get the, uh, get the actual book. And it's, it's well worth it. I, I, I super appreciate it. And again, Rick, I want to thank you very much for joining me here on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking. With My you. pleasure. All right. Thanks for joining me and Rick Antonson, author of Route 66 Still Kicks here on the podcast. You can learn more about Rick by visiting rickantonson.com. Links will be in the show notes and, of course, on the Motorcycle website on the links page. All right. Don't forget to check out our fellow podcasters, YouTubers, bloggers, and vloggers whose links you will find on our links page. All of these media outlets and many more out there do great things to promote and encourage the sport and passion that we take part in hopefully every day so from tim buck to chris the joker justin shoes and me ted wrong way your host thanks for listening to the motorcycle men podcast where we say stupid crap so you don't have to enjoy your ride kids <laughs>